gentlemen to death watch's call of cthulhu campaign descent into darkness season two i am travis and i will be your keeper today and joining me are chris brand and justin john and we'll let them say a bit about their characters starting with you chris hi i'm chris i'm playing johan a retired professor and i'm currently very very scared about dagger in my house (laughs) i'm brandon i'm playing dr wallace andrews and i am currently involved in the destruction of an ancient corpse kept alive by an evil ritual. I'm Justin. I'm playing Lance Monroe, who is also very, very concerned about a dagger, although I don't realize it's in Johan's house. (laughs) I'm John. I'm playing James Whitmire, and I think I may be losing my mind because I was just mind controlled by an ancient being that's now, or an ancient corpse that's now uh, destroyed. Yes, and in Boston we are gathered here today to witness the passing of Oren B. Eddy as his artifact that apparently contains his consciousness has now been destroyed. And let's begin with an occult role. All three of you can throw it out, but I think Dr. Andrews and Mr. Monroe are, are occult masters. Are we? Oh, I'll use luck. <laughs> Do I still get it up my uh, skill if I use luck? If you know you gotta push it. Oh no! <laughs> push it, John. When am I ever gonna get that low of a roll again? Uh, you can use luck to get the success, but unfortunately, it does not give you a check. I'll use the luck to get the success at least. Was it? You can't take it to a critical, right? Or um, can you? Yeah, you can't. Well, you could. If a critical was was needed, you could okay. luck it down there. You just wouldn't get the effects, the extra stuff ah, from a critical. I was saying that, like, right there. <laughs> you might as well just crit it. <laughs> <laughs> he starts lecturing these guys on... Yeah. All right, so you're going to use I one re- luck. I read a book once. <laughs> and I didn't see yours, Dr. Andrew. Oh. Yeah, I was looking for it. I thought you were an occult master. No. No, that's, that, uh, I, I was, and... that's like for the future, mm. what he wanted to be. Right, that's what he's going to school for. Yeah. All right, so this whole experience, you know, one detail came out of your conversations with Oren B. Eddy, uh, that he chose this site to build the church because it either was on a holy line or this is a sacred site. So Whitmire and Monroe both know that these holy lines or sacred sites are important to various pagan practices around the world. And this brings to mind a few other details in regards to pagan practices. Uh, right now, it's the waning, or no, the you know, obviously, that the murder was reported to have occurred on October 31st, right? Halloween. That has all the trappings around it, but that's also, uh, what is it, uh, Samwin, the pagan festival, one of the fire festivals that pagans celebrate, and that was perceived to be a liminal phase in which the other world, or you know, 
the world of the dead, was more connected to our own. Also of note, around that time, a total lunar eclipse occurred a few days prior to Halloween on the cusp of the 28th and 29th. And uh, so most pagan practitioners would have seen this site and the week surrounding Dooley's murder as pointing to a time of power, right? Mm. Also, it was Sunday, which means, uh, you know, it was important to Christians as well, or Protestants anyways, as it's their Sabbath. All right, so those are just a few details that pop into your guys' head about the occult and the, the trappings around this sort of thing. Um, but while you're thinking that over, Finn McCracken, he's been scrawling in his uh, notepad for a little while, Jimmy, and he uh, passes the sheet to you after. And it's about a paragraph in length, and he says, um, you gave me the slip at the Hermetic Order earlier. You didn't come out the way you went in, so I lost you there for a while. But while I was waiting, I... Saw Logan Terry uh, corner Dr. Call outside the lodge hall. I couldn't hear what they were saying, but um, it looked antagonistic in nature, but they left separately. Just thought you might want to know. I'll thank him for the information, and uh, I, I will ask the others, if, or at least uh, Dr. Andrews, because I think that was who was with him, if he'd seen Dr. Call today. The last time you guys saw him was when you left the lodge hall to go have dinner with Wayne right. Nichols. Yeah, no. What, well, was that today? Yeah. 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 So, uh, yes. I've seen him today. Okay. Well, I'll relay the information that he got got questioned by Logan Terry. So, they probably know that I'm not, uh, that I haven't left town. So, he might be on the lookout for you guys, too. I need a pistol. <laughs> I'll give him my pistol. No, I don't really need a pistol. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll take my pistol ammo. backs from him. It's illegal to have a pistol, and I don't break the law. But no, it it's not. <laughs> Might be. It's tough to figure out what the it city was, laws were. It was in Massachusetts, Boston, in Boston, or, and yeah. in that time, illegal to have a concealed handgun. Good thing it's not concealed. Yeah, carrying it around, <laughs> you can see it clearly. <laughs> like a old MMO player. Yeah. Just, if you just <laughs> run around with it in your hand, it's clearly visible. Uh, Dr. Andrews, uh, being the medical doctor that you are, you've been paying attention to this corpse as it stopped moving because it might have a touch more fascination from a medical angle than it does for the rest of the people. But uh, you see that it begins to decay rapidly before your eyes. And once the entity is nothing more than dust, you see a collection of bound journals that was underneath him. Ah, okay. Um Fellows, look at this. And I'll step forward and pick up one of the journals. Yeah, so they have that kind of twine. There's, we'll say, five separate journals okay. around them. So they come out in a whole little bundle. Uh, but just at a cursory examination, you could see they are writ in Latin. Yeah. And anyone besides me fluent in Latin? Isn't Monroe? I wouldn't say fluent, but I can definitely translate a word or two. Okay. <clears throat> bunch of eggheads um yeah so i guess i'll be like look at the covers or whatever and try to determine if these are like five inch series five unrelated or... yeah you can um determine that they're all a series and they're a personal journal uh belonging to Orinetti. so they start the top one has the oldest dates which start in 1856 and then they go out to 1870 okay <clears throat> so yeah these are these appear to be this deceased gentleman's um, 
journals, and I think we might be able to get some good information from them. But yeah, to... But they go in order, so I'll start thumbing through the first one. To glean anything out of them, you'll need a few hours to complete a skim reading, okay. and you must pass a Latin rule. So you won't am, be able to do anything right now. Oh, go ahead. Am I able to to um, pick up the that broken locket? Because I'm gonna, I want to hang on to it in case I encounter Mister Blackman again, and I'll give him the what's left of it. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you can see it by stomping a locket. You really only broke it at its hinge where it opens, and then there's a picture of a uh, well, it's actually a drawing of a woman, and and then you broke the chain off of the, the little hook that it goes through. So it wasn't terribly destroyed, the rest of your stomping. And I think you went at it with the crowbar, too. Yeah, a bit. It's Just probably sort of all, all mang- bent mangled up. up but yeah. But yeah, yeah, you can gather up all the pieces of it. Was there anything yeah. else in, in there besides the journals? and? Yeah, he had had that he described as the personal effects of his departed wife. There was oh. a uh, like an ivory comb, a hand mirror. Because uh, I would like, if there's enough time before I run into him again, I do want to try and uh, commission someone to build a fake one, a locket. So oh, I can okay. still try and get paid from that. <laughs> what did you say was the starting year of the earliest journal? 1856. Okay. So I'll hang on to those then. Are they small enough to fit into my pocket? Yeah, yeah. They're kind of the, a little bit bigger than a deck of cards, maybe twice the size. What is your... Moleskin leather. Right. Your Latin skill? Uh, 53. Okay, so you're actually a little bit better than me, so we'll, we'll have to work on these together. If you don't mind, I would, I'd would i prefer taking the last journal to start with, and uh, okay. I, I'm very interested in Yeah, that's probably where the good the... stuff starts. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll hand him the last one. And if none of you mind, I would also like to take the, his uh, beloved's personal effects. I believe that you know, with the right captions that they would make a good exhibit in my, my museum. Oh, Is there any... And, of course, the corpse. <laughs> I, I'd love to take the corpse. I, I would, but it's apparently it's decomposed now. to dust now. Yeah, you guys, were, for those of you who've read the Corbett House report, uh, that was the claim by some of the investigators mm. there of what happened to the corpse of uh, Walter Corbett. Uh, sorry, I wasn't paying attention. I was reading <laughs> Dr. Andrews' expertly <laughs> handling of... Uh, Femme fatales. Yeah. <laughs> I know, dude. I was trying hard not to laugh at that. That was pretty funny, dude. <laughs> I really uh, enjoyed that one. <laughs> that said, it was pretty well-written noir, too. <laughs> um, uh, so I think we could probably put a bow in the day as mm-hmm. the sun finally sets and it becomes night. So uh, what are you guys' plans? Is anybody going to do any investigation through the night? I know a while back, Whitmire, you had wanted to go look at either... Mr. Dooley's house or his shop or both. Um, but are the rest of you going to go and get some rest? I'm going to take this uh, prize journal home and begin translation. Do, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, well, wait, let's see. I'm a doc. So I'm used to, so yeah, me too. I'm going to go home and start translating the first of the journals. I'm yeah. used to going a long time without sleep because huh. of my residency. That's where true. You have to and stay up for your use of amphetamines. And, Cocaina, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, so Whitmire, what were you gonna do? Well, uh, we're down the road from uh, Dooley's shop, right? Yeah, you're not too far. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll go check that out, and I'll let uh, Finn McCracken know that um, 
that I'm heading over there as well. So, <laughs> like, oh, may, okay, I'm gonna go somewhere may, else. Make it uh, <laughs> tell him, may, may try and make it easier on you. Well, he scrawls in his book and he asks if you'd like a lookout. I definitely think that's a good idea. Okay, so yeah, he'll follow along with you. Um, but we'll uh, return to the apartments of Dr. Andrews and Mr. Monroe as they begin their translation work so you guys can toss those Latin rolls out there. Boom. Hmm. Nice. Well done. Hard success for Mr. Monroe. Getting some check marks back. It's been a couple sessions since I actually succeeded at something. Congratulations, Dr. Andrews. All right. So I'll share this guy with you. That was barely a hard success. All right. So rather than going, since it's quite a sizable work, uh, listing any dates, this will just appear as kind of an abstraction of everything you guys have read in there. And there'll be a dividing point between what Dr. Andrews was able to glean and then what Mr. Monroe got. So, Journal of Oren B. Eddy, Latin, handwritten, entry dates range from 1856 to 1870. The journal entries principally describe the establishment of a place of worship centered around spiritualism as popularized by the Fox Sisters of Hydesville. And Monroe, you didn't get that part. Never mind. Their public seances had given Oren an idea, and with the help of a wealthy Boston local, Walter Corbett, they established the Chapel of Contemplation and Our Lord Granter of Secrets. Oren makes only vague reference to his past and his time with the cult of starry wisdom. The memories seem to be painful to recall, and he avoids specifics, except to say that he learned his knack for persuading folk to his beliefs during that period. While the church was technically founded by Walter and a few early followers, by Oren's estimation it did not begin in earnest until his arrival. Oren frequently sees Walter as a necessary evil. He describes the man as petty, vengeful, and prone to lies that put him squarely at the center of things. However, he is very wary of Walter and suspects he has access to blasphemous magic via the book Liber Ivanus. With the aid of Walter's money, they erect a church in 1860. Oren spent the better part of a year selecting the grounds. With some excitement, he describes locating a sacred site within Boston itself, a place he says is a convergence of all matter and all time. Natives performed dark arts here, along with beings older than man. Thus, the place had become a well of potentiality, through which he hoped to again establish a connection with he who waits in the dark. Over the course of many years, Oren runs what he freely admits to being a con, claiming that when someone died, their consciousness lingered on for a time based on the strength of their personality. Such spirits could be contacted through the spirit mediums. This process was aided by a figure called He Who Waits in the Dark, a deity resembling the Egyptian god Anubis and the Greek god Hermes. That detail you'd get just with your guys' classical education. With society's increasing interest in spiritualism, this act of subterfuge attracts many of the rich and powerful in Boston, including a network of criminals and informers. This criminal element at Oren's beck and call seek out information on prospective members. Thus, when certain secret details are revealed during the staged seances, the new members more readily buy into the chapel's central tenet. On occasion, this same criminal element allows Oren to blackmail certain public officials to overlook the chapel's growing reputation of satanic practices. <coughs> Oren protests this reputation, although does admit to animal sacrifice defending this practice as being important to religions new and old. Despite the staged seances, Oren does seem to believe that at least a few things are real. 
First, the figure he who waits in the dark is real, and Orin often laments losing the means to contact this deity. He makes a vague reference to splitting with the master, and a missing key element he calls the shining trapezohedron. Second, that the spirit can, in fact, continue after death, a process he claims to have figured out from notes on Egyptian funerary rites that he stole when he left master. He claims that the first successful experiment with this esoteric power was carried out on Walter Corbett upon his death in 1867. Orne claims that Walter lives on knocking around the Weber house he loves so much. Furthermore, he describes that several others of the inner circle were interred in a similar manner over the years. Orne often laments, and this is kind of where it starts getting into the stuff that you have, Justin. He often laments the loss of his wife, Alice. The blame for her death is placed at the feet of the unnamed master. He explores the irony of giving peace to his congregation with fake seances, but he can find none for himself. Entries in the 1860s also express a growing concern with the grooming of a young pastor, Michael Thomas, by Walter Corbett. Oren describes actions that will ensure the leadership of the chapel passes to someone of his choosing. It is in these later entries that Oren also describes a growing concern with Walter's obsession with the sleeper of Nkai, who Oren describes as a false god. Though powerful and old, Zagua is nothing more than a lapdog when compared to the true power of he who waits in the dark. Finally, Oren begins to anticipate his death. He describes being racked with pain most hours of the day and a darkening of his vision. Plans to undergo the same method of burial as Walter Corbett are laid out. The final journal entry dated February 20th, 1871, reads simply, The church shall be my body. So yeah, um, uh, Mr. Monroe, you have those last two paragraphs, and okay. Dr. Andrews has everything else. Um, so how how long, like what time is it when, I, when I've learned what I've learned here? Well, with your 50, you're kind of, with, with a 50 skill rating, you're able to just translate on the fly. You're just effectively reading it like you would any other book. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that would have taken, we'll say, four hours okay. before you can finally turn in, call it a night, and a significantly less amount of time for Mr. Monroe. Okay. Good. I need my beauty sleep. All right. So let's go to Mr. Monroe going to sleep. Would you give me a power roll, please? Oh, that was close. <laughs> Closer than I'd like with a 90 power skill. Yeah. Okay. So you have a dream that night, Mr. Monroe. Uh, one that you may have anticipated because you heard it described to you by Detective Nichols and his wife, Fiona. But there you are standing out on sort of prairie-type land with a low mound in the distance, and before that, a windmill. Uh, you do see one detail that they didn't describe. You see a figure seemingly entering this mound or disappearing behind it. You can give me a spot-hidden roll. I can always see the skills when I'm not looking for them. There it is. Nope. Okay, you can't make out who it is entering the mound or disappearing behind it. But this has the sense of a lucid dream for you, so you're free to move about in it if you wish. Um, figuring that my time will be limited, I'm going to immediately start running towards the mound. Okay, so on the south side of it, as you, it's about 100 yards before you reach it, so it is quite a jaunt, but you don't get tired. Yeah. As is the way of dreams, or you get extraordinarily tired, it depends. And I'm going to pass the windmill as I head towards the mound, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to keep an eye out for any yeah. unique details. Yeah, this is like the 20th century version of it. Don't don't maybe think of like the old style. Yeah. This is more the metal frame type one, right? Okay. 
so yeah, you pass it. Um, it's tough to figure out something unique about this windmill, as you imagine there are many of them out here. But uh, you carry on to the mound, and there you see on the south side, there is an entry into the mound confirming what you had thought, is that it was one of the Spiro people burial mounds. All right. And um, that's where you think that figure disappeared into. I'll head down in. Okay, so there are just a short few steps as it enters partially into the earth underneath this mound, and you see inside, there's sort of an eerie twilight in there, even though there's no light. You can make out shadowy details, but you see a figure sort of digging in the earth at the far end of the interior of this mound, and they look sort of familiar to you. Do I have any way of, of producing light, like a lighter or something I might have on me or anything Do like that? Do you carry a lighter? Um, well, give me a luck roll. We can determine yeah, it that luck. way. I actually have luck again, so hopefully. Yes. No. Nice. Yeah, so you have a lighter. Okay. So yeah, I'll light it and, and hold it up kind of up in front of me. Yeah. To illuminate the chamber. So the reason the figure looks familiar is because they are familiar. You see the, the comb over patch of uh, <laughs> Professor Mueller as he digs in the earth at the far corner of this mound. And while his body sleeps in a boarding house in Salisbury. <laughs> but yeah, he's there digging in the earth. What would you like to do? I'll call out to him. Dr. Mueller. You're free to act, Mueller. Oh, who is it? It's, I am busy. It's Monroe. Ah, uh, God, in him or I can't even escape you. In... <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no escaping the good Monroe. What is it? <sighs> You know that we're sleeping, right? Do I know I'm sleeping? It's His voice kind of took you out of a dream that you didn't remember when you woke up, and now you have the same sense of lucid dreaming. It feels like you're aware of your dream state. So. Do I know why I was digging? You don't know. You just <clears throat> basically came to that lucid state right at this moment. His voice seemed to trigger it. Oh, but you can see you've uh, there's an opening beyond where you were digging, mm. like a buried opening. Of, of course we're dreaming, but... Uh... What do you make of this, Monroe? This dream? Well, it seems to be... What was the name of those people again? Um, the... Uh, um, the Nichols? Mr. and Mrs. Nichols? No, the... The Spiro? The Spiro people. people. Yeah. Uh, I'll say, well, we're inside a Spiro mound in the Midwest. Why would I be dreaming about them? Huh. Uh, because this is all tied to the investigation we're doing. These, This was a place where a god named Zagua was, was worshipped and some sort of an item or some sort of spirit has, has brought us here in our dreams. We must find why it's bringing us here. It's, it's probably, what is it? Was it their servants, the ones with the frog statues or his servants? The frog statues? Yeah, the guys that were dropping the... Oh, the consortium members? Yeah. 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 Seemingly, because well, you I... saw that one leave the uh, frog statue for you. In fact, in the timeline, that happened, the dream in which you were remembering occurred right before you entered into this mound dream you're in right now. So that whole experience, which you notice when he turns around, his eyes are beyond ancient looking. Like oh, there's a well, like a well of depth <laughs> that's not there when last you saw him, you know. Uh, that might change some of my <laughs> answers because I'm busy, but also what does it all matter? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what I'll say. Are, are, are you well, sir? We haven't heard anything from you, though. I got your message. I haven't heard anything from you in millennia. 
millennia, sir. It's been I saw a day. the creation of all things on this planet. Really? Indeed. And you come here wondering about a dream. What is a dream, Mr. Monroe? Uh, we, that's a question for philosophers, my good man, that I am afraid I'm not. We are a dream, Monroe. We are their dream. And none of it matters. <laughs> well, dream or not, I, I still wish to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> there is no bottom. It all goes down forever. Then let us partake on the journey together, my good friend. Perhaps you will not wish to be so enthusiastic, Herr Monroe. Fine. There appears to be a hole beyond where I was digging. Perhaps you can go down. Yes. Yes, I will. Will you join me? Of course. Soon I will wake up, and I will probably attack a secretary and eat her hair. <laughs> Excuse me? I have had the oddest cravings. Perhaps you should lead first. Yeah, so that opening uh, turns out to be what looks like a series of man-made tunnels. Uh, and as soon as you get it dug out fully, um, you can hear a sort of thrum emanating from deeper in the earth. But it branches off in multiple directions almost immediately. Although the thrum might be able to uh, be pinpointed with a successful listen roll. That is never a good sign in places like this had one roll. Listen? Yeah. Ooh, boy, 20. Here we go. Bam. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh nice. nicely done. <laughs> Put yeah. a checkpoint right next to that. Got what I needed. So this, um, I suppose we could say these new sensations outside of watching millions of years pass in real time, uh, because they're new, they hit you with your full attention. You're like, like what is this new strange sound? Now so, that I am bound by <laughs> flesh again. <laughs> So you can pinpoint one of the passages, which ends up being, it splits like six ways, and this, by your estimation, would lead somewhere off to the, the east. So, the tunnel over that way is where the noise is coming from, Monroe. <sighs> well, my good friend, I suppose it is time to face whatever we must face. Oh, there are worse things than whatever this throne is. Well, let's... Wait until we see what it is before we make that decision. Onward, my friend. Of course. And the thrum has a sort of pattern to it. It uh, fades and comes in again, but it'll be like one, two, three, pause, and then four. But that last one's sort of extended. And as you journey down that hall, you can almost make out like some sort of vocal element within this thrum deep within the earth, but not quite. But anyhow, your path that you chose leads into a hall that's filled with an ambient light emitted by lichen that's on the walls. And it has sort of a, an odd look to it. It doesn't have the look of nature. It has the look of straight lines, as although it were almost cultivated along the, the walls of this passage. Um, but it gives you about like candlelight, as though there were candlelight everywhere. Um, okay. Um, I'll close my lighter and put it back in my pocket then it I'd rather keep it with right. fluid in case we need it again. So as you travel on, you can see the walls become or start to be decorated with intricate carvings, including these natural columns as the hall spreads out that tower out of the light. Uh, the carvings are very old, and they're also covered with lichen, which is easy if you were to test it to break away. You can take a piece of it off and... But much of the fine work appears to be damaged by the passage of time. 
Um, My good friend Mueller, an archaeologist, could spend a lifetime here and still not be satisfied. The southern wall is particularly damaged. It's uh, obliterated in parts and collapsed. But as you guys pause and examine these uh, carvings, you can each give me an archaeology roll. We're like be the perfect team Mm -hmm. right now. (laughs) You succeed when I fail. I succeed when you fail. I think such uh, stuff is probably below me right now. (laughs) (laughs) Who cares what uh, some temple has? Like I watched this happen. It was but a blip in my history. So um, you both know they're extremely ancient carvings. You're able to think that they're possibly they possibly predate the oldest carvings or cave paintings that have been discovered thus far. And uh, you notice the bat-faced toad motif is predominant. There are other things, and they're difficult to make out, but um, this bat-faced toad keeps appearing. And in some cases, there are enormous versions of this toad. And um, also, you see abstract and geometric designs, zigzags, and spirals that accompany these carvings. You can give me a mythos roll. But you recognize them as Aklo. Okay, I was actually just about to ask that. Ah, oh, so dangerous to raise that skill. <laughs> Getting it up there pretty high, though. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think we're at the end of the road for Johan, so. <laughs> All right, well, we'll um, leave you guys to look at these carvings, and we'll jump over to Whitmire. So which which do you favor? Do you want to look at the house or the the shop first? Take a look Mr. at the Whitmer. shop since it's closer. Okay. So, yeah, you, when you arrive to Mr. Dooley's house, which is straight across from Corbett's house, which is still there, um, you know, maybe you, depending on how superstitious you are, you get a bit of a chill looking at Corbett's house. It still has that sense of being out of place, uh, considering all the new apartments and stuff that have gone up around it. But in any case, Mr. Dooley's fine tobacco is locked up tight. Both the back and the front door. I'm sure that that back door is probably unlocked. <laughs> I'll go take a look at it. Okay. Yeah, you think you could probably get through it with a successful locksmith roll. Uh, um, or a pistol skill? Yeah, right. Nope. <laughs> Z- yeah, well, maybe not. It's an older lock. Sometimes those throw you for a loop. You got a crowbar. That's true. You could, um, with your crowbar, you could... Wrench the door open with the strength roll. I guess you could try to push it too. Or you yeah, push it. Yep. That I'm gonna I'm gonna try and push it. Okay. Ooh, what happens as as hands. always the uh you know, nosing around at night on a locked up place, you know, the risk of discovery is on the line here. Yeah. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. So with your second go at it, you're able to get that door open, then you come into a storeroom of this tobacco shop and you see a bunch of packages and stuff that looks like his last shipment that had come in is still just sitting here uh there are there's sort of an uh, what an invoice on top and then this room leads into the store proper which has a, kind of like a bar and then all the various tobacco products uh are lined up before it, behind it except those that require humidity which has its own special room and then he had racks with periodicals on them i want to do a, a quick scan of the inventory um you know look for anything that i don't know that my knowledge of uh like tobacco or anything is uh, very uh very good but just anything that might seem off to me 
maybe like an accounting or something appraise uh or well yeah you do see, see what the labels are are yeah you could do um well you see lucky strikes edgeworth dreamcastle a bunch of other brands that if you're not really a smoker they don't stick out to you although maybe lucky strikes probably does i think they were advertising it pretty well back yeah. then yeah a, I probably um, need to take some of these too. The Lucky Strikes? Well, yeah, the cigarettes. Uh, I'm sure that I could find some boys to run cigarettes for me. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I mean, nothing um, right. nothing odd jumps out about them. The oddest thing you would think, well, give me, let's do, well, we don't need a roll. But you see the order forms are there too, Mr. Dooley's order forms. And as you kind of glance them over, they're really poorly put together order forms like he'll have you know you might order schubert's up here for you know this particular packaging but then he'll have them again down someplace else you know there's no rhyme or reason evidently it worked for mr dooley but they kind of uh if you had to work for him they would confuse you to try to figure out where everything's at and place in the right orders you know because they'll have like edgeworth edgeworth in a seven ounce tin and then they'll have it in something else but it's not next together like you Mm. think somebody would put together an order form. One of those guys that are cluttered but yeah. know where everything is for themselves. You know? Yeah, but this particular uh, shipment is predominantly the Lucky Strikes, uh, Schubert's, Edgeworth, and Dreamcastle. And those range from cigarettes to cigars to pipe tobacco. Okay. So I'll, uh, wanna... uh, I'll set aside a, a case, if there is one, of like the Lucky Strikes. I should be okay. able to get rid of those pretty quick. And then I'll... Yeah, I suppose I'll, you could uh, take the whole collection. It's just sitting in one, like, milk crate, like the old wooden ones. Can you visualize that in your head? Yeah. That's kind of what I was I was thinking. As, uh, you know, I'll, I'll load it up in, in the trunk of one of the cars. But, uh, yeah, then I'll make my way out into the main area there. Okay. All right. And you're going to head over to Mr. Dooley's house? Well, was there nothing of interest in, in the main area of the shop? Oh, um, nothing that pops out to you. The place looks like it was, you know, it's now frozen in time, although it is pretty dusty as it's been boarded up for half a year or more. Uh, you see some of the indications of the rummaging of investigators, but uh, nothing nothing pops out at you, and I don't need a, a skill roll. There's simply nothing to find. Okay. Yeah, then I'll go ahead and I'll head over to the house. As I'll, like I said, I'll load that up in, in uh, the trunk of my car. Okay. So you uh, confer with McCracken uh, shortly, and he follows you over to the house. So the house, which is uh, pretty similar to how I described Peter Fallon's house, it's kind of the American variety of English brownstones, only poorer, if that can be imagined. Um, but it is sealed up. It has, you know, like a, on a rope. A placard that says police line don't cross you know and um, it too has a front and back door which both appear to be locked all right i'll try and break this one too are you going front or back um we'll go go back again all right so if, coming if in there's to... an easy way to get back there like if i've got to um go through anybody else's yards or anything i'll probably just walk up to the front no, they are separate. You have like three feet between each home, and these are only single level. Um, so yeah, you, that back area comes right into a small little kitchenette, and uh, 
You know, one thing you kind of expected when you entered the house is for it to smell like old tobacco smoke, but it actually doesn't smell like that. And then that leads into a living area uh, with several doors on one wall. You have three, in fact. Okay. Um, I do a, a spot hidden, see if I can see anything... About the living interesting. area? Interesting, yeah. Is there anything that, that might grab my interest there? Yeah, well, you don't need a spot hidden, but... You remember the report saying that Mr. Dooley's almanacs and, and such were neatly organized in his bedroom. Out here in the living room, all these periodicals that he was interested in looking at are not neatly organized. They're just stacks of, you know, you can see where one fell over by some tremor in the earth in days past, but others are in danger of doing the same. He has sort of like a uh, an area on the couch that is, you know, well worn in, but a Everywhere else on that couch has these periodicals, and there'll be newspapers, their almanacs, those sorts of things. Are if I flip through a couple of those, are they written in as well? Like the first one we we got was where it was entirely the same phrase in Latin over and over again. Yeah, no, the ones in the living room appear to contain the information that they were published with. Okay, all right, uh, let's try the first door on the left. Okay, when you open that door, this has the look, you think, of the nephew's room because it has things that boy, you know, teenage boys are interested in. Like he has, you know, like model, like a model train set on the, the dresser there. But it's otherwise neat and orderly. Um, and you can see a few mementos here from Dooley, like a note on the desk saying, let's go fishing later, that sort of thing. Uh and there's a framed picture of a broad-faced woman bearing a resemblance to Dooley hanging above the bread bed frame. And there is a journal on that on the bed as well. I'll uh, pick that up and start leafing through it. Yeah, one sec. Let me find it. Oh, nice. I hyperlinked it. Well, it's less a journal. It's, um, like he's not writing about his day if this is the Charlie Murphy stuff. But this is the last entry on 1031-1920. It <laughs> says... Uh, Mr. Smith, Lucky Strikes, one pack. Mr. DeCorey, Edgeworth, seven ounce tin. Customer X, wrong shadow. Asked after Dreamcastle, placed special order to Freechester, UK. Mr. Callan, Union Labor, long cut, one pouch. Mr. Griffin, old gold, one carton. Boston Globe. Customer X, New York Times. Customer X, two bros, scotch snuff, five ounce tin. Mr. Leatherman, Lucky Strikes, two packs. Mr. Brighton, Lucky Strikes, one pack. New York Times and Boston Globe. And so on and so forth. If you go back to earlier dates, there are... This is what the whole journal is, basically. Okay. So... And it yeah. only runs It only runs from August of that year. Uh, when did, when did uh, his nephew come and start helping him? It was August of that year. Okay, yeah, so... That makes sense. All right. Um, I'll I'll replace that. And is there anything else that stands out in here? You know, I do want to search for... Um, I do want to search around, though, for anything that, that might be hidden away, right? Like a, um, you know, keepsake box or, you know, a uh, loose floorboard where you hid your you know, eagle's feather and a knife, right? Who knows what they have in this place? Yeah, um, you don't find any hidey holes. You just the more you go over his room, you you find this uh, this tendency of of extreme orderliness. 
occurring. Like if you open a drawer, you know, things are lined out in a, in a range of, in a gradient of colors, right? If he has different colored shirts, you know, they'll start with darker ones on one side to lighter ones on the other. And this pattern repeats itself. You know, he has a, a chest full of uh, different colored blocks that were meticulously stacked by color and uh, ordered by size. Okay. But that pretty much is it for this room. All right, let's go to room number two. All right, so this room number two is Mr. Dooley's bedroom, where the murder was supposed to have occurred. So here you see that shelf that Detective Nichols described as having neatly organized almanacs and various trade magazines. So it's quite a departure from how the living area looked. And if you look at it closer, you can see they're arranged by publication date. On the opposite side of the bed, however, uh, he has his bed nearer to one wall so that you have a bigger space on one side and a narrow space on the other. On that opposite side, you just see a stack of discarded periodicals. And you can still make out the pinkish stain where the eye symbol was purported to have paint, been painted on the wall, although it was scrubbed mostly away. And okay. a close examination of the floor reveals the same thing, where Dr. Nichols had said there wasn't as much blood as you would expect, but there was some. Now, the whole experience of being in here is unnerving to you, but just in a small way, most people could get past it shortly. So I do need a sand roll. So a sanity roll? Mm-hmm. No sanity is lost. You Just a little bit of the willies from being where you know a murder occurred, especially a grisly one. Uh, is there anything you wanted to do in this room? Yeah, I want to look, I want to search around the bed area and like under the bed as well. See if there's anything that may have, uh, slipped down there that was missed. Okay. Give me a spot hidden roll. Uh, can I push it with the, uh, negative being my eyes fall out? Mm. <laughs> That's quite an extreme. Walks into a <laughs> coat hanger, like the type yeah. on the back of a door. Start reaching under the bed and uh, the push Drop on a the board bed on yourself. Does, yeah, nail goes up into my eyeball. You know, well, uh, you know, uh, one part of pushing is describing the further action you are you are taking. So right now you looked under the bed. You know, like how are you going to justify your uh, push? Um, you know, maybe with the flashlight. Start moving some anything that's under there around. Risk uh, turning a flashlight on or light in general. Yeah. You could also try flipping the bed. Yeah. So that's definitely one thing, you know, having a light on will be visible from outside potentially. So, yeah. And yeah, if they have a regular. Keep it off. Okay. Yeah. I'll allow it. Go for your push. Congratulations. Gambling Whitmire. Always push. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the bed has. highest skills, man. Yeah, no reason not to. Underneath the bed has dust bunnies and and what have you, and uh, a few odds and ends that have been kicked under there over time. Uh, But there is, it almost looks like a piece of maybe three-inch long wire or something like that. It even glints, but darkly, with your flashlight or your lantern, whichever one you had, that kind of catches your eye. There's something about it that almost looks like a hair, but way more coarse than you'd ever seen. I'll uh, slowly reach out for it, try and pull it out. Okay. Yeah, and it, it does, it feels like um like a piece of steel wire or something like that, but 
when you examine it closely, it's not still, you're pretty sure of that. You could give me a biology role, a science biology role if you have it. Let me take a look. Otherwise, I think you have sciences at 1%, so. Could I do an education instead? Uh, Yeah, we could go for an extreme education. It might uh, pop up in regular studies. Nope. Jeez. <laughs> well, I yeah. switched it over to extreme. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. I have an 80 uh-huh. education, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm not really yeah, that dumb. I'm pretty smart. You, you have no idea what it, it could be. Uh, you just have this sense that it's not, you know, metal like you on it first. There are, oh. there are weird segments in it that allow it to, to bend a little bit. I'll, uh, I'll tuck it away. And maybe uh, Dr. Andrews can tell me what the hell it is. Yeah, so when you put it in a pocket or something, you know, jam it in there, it just pokes you a little bit. Not, It doesn't do any damage. It's not going to give you a disease or anything like that. But it has like these sharp ends to it. So Does it worm handle its way it with inside care. of me? <laughs> yeah, it's gone now. Where did it go? <laughs> no, it's, it's... <laughs> I had this thing. <laughs> now it's a part of me. Uh, yeah, so you found this strange hair-like, or a blend between hair and metal, and it's in your pocket. What else would you like to do in here? Um, I want to check out the almanacs that he has as well and see if there's anything else that's that I can find that's like written in them. Okay, so the ones in the narrow side of the bed where they're haphazardly discarded there are, you know, they contain the information you would think that they contain. The ones that were organized on the shelf have the Latin term, even though you don't speak Latin, you you recognize it from handling the almanac that Detective Nichols had. So it's just that one Latin phrase repeated over and over. Let me show it to you guys again. That pop up for you. 30 cents for a copy. What a (laughs) ripoff. So it's just like the one that Detective Nichols had found. So you see that Latin over and over again. Every word that appeared... In the periodicals has somehow been transposed into this Latin. It almost seems to me or that... Of course, you don't have the English translation to go with it. I can't remember if one of the yeah. other investigators translated it on the spot. almost seems to me that uh, Orrin B. Eddy had gotten inside this guy's mind. But let's take a look in the third room and we'll see if we can find anything. All right, so this is the bathroom... And it's just small. Um, it's well taken care of for, you know, a man and a boy living in a place, but it might uh, cause a, a woman to stand back, gasp in shock at, you know, old crud that's built up in the corners. And, you know, there's that particular whiff of mildew that comes out when you open the door. But other than that, there's nothing in there that seems interesting to you. So I want to check in the toilet tank and in the medicine call or uh, cabinet. Oh, okay. If there is one. All right. So yeah, in the the medicine cabinet, uh, you don't see anything. Well, there is a prescription for some cocaine in there. I suppose. I'll take that too. <laughs> Nothing in the toilet tank. And we'll yeah. uh, we'll pause there with you and head back over to Mueller and Monroe. As you guys have been looking at these for a while. Are you continuing on? Yeah. Um, yeah, Mueller's probably frustrated with me for stopping. <laughs> uh, he's, he's bored with all this. Oh, I think he just doesn't care. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, after spending a, a decent amount of time 
like realizing that I'm still asleep and that I'm going to wake up soon that I don't have as like right. all the time I'm gonna you know push forward so the the caverns continue on um and they become damp and you start to see the stalactites forming st- stalactites and stalagmites from the dampness and uh besides the glowing lichen other forms of fungi begin to start growing on the walls and ceilings and floors um and generations of this growth have made the floor soft with a coating of loam moisture makes the floor slippery in places you notice one time when you're you're wearing probably your normal get up so those yeah. uh smooth soles of your they slip down a rock one at one moment okay uh rock falls you can see it, it branches out again but rock falls and collapses have blocked off certain passages and created obstacles in other quarters and uh you see that this um, worked stone is also a part of this natural cavern, kind of like whoever was down here tried to go with the flow of the natural cavern, and they would just enhance the openings. Um, I'm going to be, you know, chatting his ear off the entire time we're walking, you know, <laughs> constantly saying, like, can you imagine we may be the le- the first humans to be down here in, <laughs> in centuries or perhaps millennia, and, you know, just constantly, <laughs> you know, speaking as we go. <laughs> echoing off the yeah well Hermon Ro we have nothing to worry about if it is humans that have only been here it's the other things that we must worry about yes very true very true my friend very true very true so yeah many of these surfaces are still decorated with more of the toad and geometric carvings as well as well as the occasional unfathom- unfathomable text like you, it does it's not aklo but it's some other language you don't you don't even have any inkling on how to approach it. It doesn't look like any of the ones that you either of you are familiar with. Uh, but after a while of being in there, you guys can give me a science geology roll. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So 1% if you don't have it, and then whatever your skill is in it. Geology? Mm-hmm. It starts at 15? No, you got 15 because you you witnessed oh. geology happen <laughs> yeah, okay. in real time. I've got nothing, so... Oh, do I just roll a 1d100 or? Yeah. And if you roll a one, then you'll. Was that six? No, that was pretty close. close. Oh, that's a t10. <laughs> I Sorry, might, yeah. uh, might luck it. Do I, do I need just a standard success? Yeah. Is that six? Oh, I'll luck it. I got an 11. Oh, nice. Uh, but you needed a one? Yeah. Okay. Well, you got a 65, right? Oh. You rolled 2d10. Oh, yeah. If you're doing it that way. Yeah, I guess. It, they do have a d100. They do? They changed all the dice stuff, so... So you're going to luck it? Yeah. Okay. Okay, because you know how sediment and stone gets all layered up over the years, it's newly acquired information, nah. uh, you realize that some of these structures or, or some of these carvings had to have happened millennia ago. Uh, such realizations might, like, outside of human existence, Right. Might be a shock, but since you just went through one, <laughs> you won't have to do the sand roll. But yeah, that's you. You realize that whoever was down here and did these carvings, did these things, did them far beyond the accepted length of time that humans have actually been a species. Yeah, I think Monroe was already kind of hinting at that yeah. earlier. Yeah, so I'll kind of confirm it. Thump the carving with a cane, and these are far older than should be, like you said earlier, Monroe. These predate what humans should have been doing. 
the more we go, the more fascinating I become. And, you know, at this point, my fascination is overwhelming my terror. Let's hope that that does not change. I saw a flying black pyramid communicate with... <laughs> you must speak of, of what you experienced when, when this is through. Fortunately, I can't remember it all right now or I would... <laughs> you don't remember it well. It's usually triggered no, by... I mean me. Oh, right. Like, yeah. I actually can't remember all of it. I can't remember, like, they, they were... Were they tentacle things or were they plants? I can't remember what came and communicated or the pyramid communicated with. Yeah, they're pretty long description one sec here but that is besides the point i'm on roll thank god we are in a dream (laughs) right yes yes and of course you can't be hurt in dreams right that's not what i've come to believe well i believe that that that, (laughs) that's gonna unsettle (laughs) me a little bit because he had been banking on the idea that he was safer not your body mr monroe but your mind your mind (laughs) Uh, yeah, so as I said, this is kind of broken up and uh, they are smaller passages that have been widened sometimes, but eventually this comes into a wider hall. It's almost like you could imagine in Egyptian times, the both of you, that this would be like where processions would come through, right? So it has that size to it. Uh, but it's this place is decorated extensively with the elaborate carvings. And while the toad motif and geometric designs are present, there's also a series of murals. So first, there are carvings of landscapes, like studded with towers and other structures, and robed serpentine figures are depicted engaged in various pursuits. Some images show them worshipping an enormous toad-like figure. And then there's a later series of murals in which the land becomes colder, with glaciers in the distance and snow-covered terrain. Others depict the serpent people and their cities being attacked by what appear to be early humans. And the end scene shows the serpent people abandoning their cities above ground to the humans and migrating underground, creating a new homeland under the earth. Okay. And then you guys wake up in your bed. No, I don't get to Well, you wake up screaming and go on an adventure. (laughs) Uh, All right. So uh, what are you going to do after that, Mr. Whitmire? Turn in for the night. The mixture of mescaline and yeah, because <laughs> I'm gonna uh, head back to one of my safe houses or McCrakens if uh, I don't trust mine. All right. So with all of you safely in your beds or waking from your beds in a state of insanity, we will proceed to the next day where I need to know what the Boston cruise plans are. Um, what are you guys gonna do? My plan is to drop off the artifacts that I have at my museum and then head towards where my last known whereabouts of Mueller were. Okay. Which I don't remember. I, I think it was that you were headed towards Arkham, but I don't remember where we got the message from him about the stranger. The Newburyport trans, uh, transit station. Okay. So. so that'll be where I'll head. Okay. I want to find Dr. Andrews and show him this thing. Yeah, I'll... um. Probably get up and go to breakfast at uh, O'Flannery's. O'Flannery's or whatever we called it. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess we would probably Which would be like the morning meeting to, place to yeah. meet. Yeah, as as gentlemen do, you guys yeah, without well, cell phones, where you can text if your plans change. I mean, like so. Yeah, you you arrange to meet at O'Flannery's for some good country breakfast, and we'll <laughs> we'll open there. You're all seated 
<laughs> and uh, awaiting your meals. Um, so I'll start then and say that uh, I got, I made some good progress on the journals last night, um, at least the first one. And I'll just basically give an outline of the things that I had discovered. Yeah, and I'll, I'll hand the last one back to him and say, unfortunately, the last one had very little actual information in it. It seemed mostly the regrets and lamentations of a dying man, uh, though mm -hmm. he did mention uh, some steps that he had taken to try to ensure that Pastor Michael Thomas was not going to be the successor to the um, controller of the church. Though he did mention something called the master quite a bit, and... Uh, several times he mentioned a watcher in the dark that yeah. he had started the church to worship, but not he who waits in the dark. He who waits is in the the, dark. what I found, mm -hmm. and that he mostly was running it as a con. I don't know if that was detailed in the part you read, but um, he set this whole thing up with like fake seances and things hmm. that other people weren't aware that it was fake. But no, I'm afraid that the at his end he was mostly just lamenting that he had lost control of the church and that he could not find solace for his own grief. Mm. Well, I'll continue to pour through them and see what else I can determine. We might be able to get more weighty information in the or in the middle volume. Did you? Would you like the fourth one? Uh, yes. I, I should have a uh, train journey that I can work on it mm -hmm. while I head to try and find the good Herr Mueller. Oh, you're going to go look for Mr. Mueller? Yes, I had uh, a dream that I just can't seem to shake, hmm. that I'm a little bit concerned about his mental state. Oh, I see. That when paired with the message that he sent, I feel that uh, that I must check in on him. And Mr. Whitmire, what are your plans? Well, I didn't find anything out of the ordinary in Mr. Dooley's tobacco shop. I went and I searched his house as well. As, uh, and it looks like his nephew was was uh, doing, you know, fairly well as uh, helping him with that shop. But I did mm. find one thing that I can't quite pin what it is, and I'll I'll pull that thing out of my pocket. And say it looks like hair, but it it feels like metal, and I'll hand it to Doctor Andrews or try to. So, so you, this, have you ever seen like, this before? Is it in a thing, like a jar? Or I guess he just has it. No, it's just you're loose. holding it between your fingers. Yeah. After the slugs, you might be a little nervous <laughs> on handling <laughs> stuff. Yeah, I'll just motion for him to set it on the table, and I'll <laughs> I'll move go. it around with a piece of silverware that I won't use to eat and inspect it. Yeah. yeah. So if you guys I, have uh, science, <laughs> I had it in my pocket all night, and I slept on it. And it didn't go inside of me, so I think you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't grown a extra arm either. Yeah. So no. you're, if, if we hadn't gone through Peru together, I would be <laughs> genuinely concerned as to why he thought that it might go inside. Yeah. Well, I also like Andrews. You're like, yeah, I had a dream about Mueller, and I'm worried about him, so I'm going to go check on him. And and Andrews is like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess premonitions uh, do that, but um. So you have... Um, oh, right. That's my bad. I'll, I'll ask him more about that after this. Okay. Well, so you guys have three different skills you can use. We could do extreme 
education, success would identify it. Hard medicine would identify it. Or a regular science biology role would identify it. So pick your best odds you said between the two of you. education? Yeah. Mm. Oh. Nope. That was close. Yeah. I'm saying my get it? For, yeah, well, I'm trying to... What's, what is the hard... What's the percentage? What does that add to it? Like uh, you can toggle it on your character sheet to yeah to figure it out for you. I think he's uh, oh trying is, to figure out the I odds. I think hard is what fifty percent. Fifty percent of your skill, yeah, or right. under. So then it's still better for me to do biology, but that fails. All right, uh, yeah. Again, you get the similar assessment that Mister Whitmire again. That even though it has uh, almost a metal texture to it, that it appears to be organic in nature, although. You can't ascertain more than that, at least not without a uh, a pushed roll or some luck spent. That'd be a lot of luck. Um, no, no, I can't. I won't do either of those things. Yeah, it's too precious. Yeah, of course, you guys have university connections, so yeah, it's might. possible you could yeah. send it off to their biology department to have it analyzed. All right, so anyhow, okay back to your guys' conversation. I mean, Johan has been preaching constantly about interns needing to be driven insane by discovering this stuff for us. <laughs> if you do it right, they probably wouldn't even know. Yeah. Right. You just split it up into enough, like, translations into enough segments. It's all the pieces falling into place. That... And where did you find this, Mr. Whitmire? That was under Mr. Dooley's bed. And what does it look like again? It looks like a long hair, although thick and coarse and it seems metal at first but that quite that can't quite be correct as you guys you manipulate it with your fork you know you can see it has like uh these little almost like scales that run down it and they they sort of open this way and that when you move it isn't it almost like actual hair is this would just be on a bigger level right so you're actually able to view <laughs> now I would be okay with us sending it to your uh, college connections. Yeah, we'll have to do that. Yeah, his college connections would probably be more useful than mine. Yeah, well, you have, depending on where you take it, if you go to here in Boston, you could do um, a skill roll that you only need a regular success. But if you go elsewhere, like if you try to do it up in Miskatonic, even though you, there, you are there periodically, you don't necessarily interact with the uh, various faculty that much. I'm just saying his, the... He probably went to a medical university. Right, and yeah. Medical. Here in Harvard. Yeah, yeah, and archaeologists probably wouldn't have the same skill set. Yeah, so Brandon, with you or with a regular medicine, you could have a contact at, say, the biology department on oh, Harvard. You want me to roll a medicine? Yeah. Mm. Oh, come on. <laughs> well, you were in, you know, you were just, you didn't keep up your your connections with people you met during your schooling after the death of your wife and daughter. You know, you'd been in a funk and traveled abroad, so... Can you only push rolls that would be skill-upable, or... He can could, push these. He could push it if he wanted. Yeah, like the... Uh, yeah, let me look at something real quick. So, like... Like, one failure means he could... His contact... Say, yeah, you have a contact. and but then contact I, like, Oh, he's dead. a consortium member, or mm -hmm. he, he works for uh, uh, Francis yeah. Walsh or something like that. And then, so, remind me again, like, how pushing... You roll it again, but you have to kind of determine how you're going at it differently. Yeah. And the possible negative, like 
John would have alerted someone with his flashlight last night when he mm-hmm. was in Dooley's house and the cops could have been called. Gotcha. Yeah, in this case, to help you out, you could say, well, this was you thinking of your time at Harvard. So you could be like, well, I could, I could try a different school here. You know, we all interacted in, in various events and stuff, but I didn't know them as well. That could be like you giving a new direction to your attempt. Yeah. And then I would say, well, you don't know these people as well. And considering the sensitive nature of your investigation, it's possible that maybe you don't want somebody you don't know well to get a hold of any piece of information, you know, because it's not clear whether or not this could be evidence. Mm-hmm. Your contact so that's the, will be Logan yeah. Terry. <laughs> <laughs> I do get this one guy. <laughs> so that's what you're risking, although the odds are in your favor. Went to medical school and I became a cop instead. <laughs> All because of one okay. little mistake. Yeah, I'll push it then. And we'll do that. We'll like, um, like what's the difference? The University of Massachusetts. Right, or something. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Okay. So, yeah, you. Uh, so, I want that to mean that I actually found one of my old Harvard contacts and he's now working at the University of Massachusetts. Okay. That's why it's a hard success. But anyway, no, I'm just. Yeah, so. Uh, so it was Van Barnett is the name of your contact. Van so, Barnett? Yeah. The reason you know he's a, a University of Massachusetts guy is because he's one of the people you did your residency with. So that's how you made that connection there. He just came from a different school. But you got along well enough, and he, uh, he seemed like an upstanding guy. And uh, uh, he had a depth of knowledge about biology that you lacked outside of human biology. All right. Medium yeah. continue. So, um, Lance, what is this about a dream about Mueller and now suddenly you're going to go looking for him? Because, you know, this dreams aren't real. This may sound crazy, but I had the same dream that the detective and his wife had, had mentioned having. No. Of the mound, out in the Midwest somewhere. And in the dream, I came across Herr Mueller. And while... You know, he in most form he was still the the old man that we all know and love. He seemed a slight bit off, and it may just be that my mind is is fixated on his last message, where he cautioned us, and the location that he sent it from was not where he was headed, which also concerns me gravely. But when I woke up, I felt that I needed to go find him. I see. Do you feel like it will be dangerous? Because well, I don't. I don't think that we should put off going out to the asylum much longer. No, no. I wasn't suggesting that we all go find... Yes, but the, but I'm Mueller. wondering if it's safe for you to go alone. Well... Maybe you should take Mr. Whitmire with you. If He's Mr. pretty handy. If Mr. Whitmire is up for such a, a journey, then and I'd then, gladly accept his company. And then I can go to Arkham... Is that the asylum he's in? Roxbury. Roxbury Asylum. And see what I can determine from meeting with the boy and his doctors there. Okay. Um, be very careful. If uh, Dr. Call was accosted yesterday, then he may have mentioned mm. some of the information that we had, we'd gathered. Perhaps you should take Mr. Whitmire as I'm going to a, a location that nobody seems to know of. Okay. Yeah, if you're sure. Would you accompany me, Mr. Whitmire, to the uh, asylum? I would love to go to the asylum. Who knows what trouble I'll get into there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh, he's never coming back, is he? <laughs> Mr. Whitmire, you feel much better this morning after 
a bit of rest so you're yeah, no longer good. temporarily insane. All right. <laughs> Man, did they have like all the weird asylum drugs back then? What all could he get in trouble with? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Didn't they use like laudanum and opium? Oh, uh, yeah. Who well, knows? that was in standard society too. All right. So <laughs> Mr. Monroe is going to take a train journey up to Arkham and you can... The the other two can travel by car to Roxbury, or it is about an hour train ride south of Boston. Which do you prefer to travel? Yeah, I don't have a car. The train's fine with me. I have a a car. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's take your car then. Okay. All right, so Mr. Monroe, you catch uh, the 9.30 up to Newbury Transit Port Station. And also, on my way to the train station, drop off the two oh, the toad, artifacts. Yeah, the two toad statues and the okay, the mirror and the okay other thing. And uh, you arrive at Newbury Port some hours later, which is just on the border of New Hampshire and Massachusetts, so well north of of Arkham. Usually, people going to Arkham uh, jump the train in Bolton to the one traveling to Arkham. But you pass through there, but now you're standing at this transit station. It is kind of a larger junction for trains going elsewhere in New England and further abroad. And uh, you got a guy out there selling, like, meat pies out of a cart or other good things, you know. Okay. Corn on a stick. Um, yeah, look for somebody that looks like they would be in a good position to watch people come and go. Um, hey, you, you look like a creep. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got the guy who takes, you know, sells tickets and yeah, and, and there's a ticket salesman. Uh, there, there might be like a police officer that's in the. You got a guy stocking the, the the periodical. But yeah, I'll, I'll uh, approach a few of them and, and ask them if they had seen a man uh, that resembles. All right, let's see how people are reacting to Mister Monroe today. Let's get a uh, appearance or credit rating, whichever is your better one. Can I do persuade. <laughs> Well, this is their initial react. This is like uh, upon sight, so a thirty-minute. <laughs> when a garishly flamboyant uh, man <laughs> right. walks up to you on the street, where is Chris? Okay, yeah, I'm looking pretty disheveled. How's People like the your... way I look. My credit rating's only a twenty-three. Oh wow! And that's after I like <laughs> boosted it significantly after I got the money from the last one, from the last uh, from the permissions. Yeah, so you get a combination of, hey, look, fella, whatever you're selling, we're not buying. Or, <laughs> you know, people that are very uh, closed off. Um, you might be able to change the opinion of one of them with a social skill role of your choice. Uh, persuade, I, I don't do it well enough, but persuade takes time, which means you can't do it like in the heat of the moment. You can't change somebody's mind in a round. So this is you, like... Really forcing yours, and you're like, no, look. Like kind of. I can take a shot into psychology. Yeah. Psychology is though your is more of a sense. No. Although you can't, you uh, you Just could roll psychology to them. see why people don't like you. No. <laughs> I know why people don't like me, <laughs> and yet he can't help himself. Yep. I have a fast talk of five, so that's not. Well, you work. can do persuade. It's just uh, it, you'll be hung up here for a while, trying intimidate. to intimidate. Yeah. To, to sway people around. Can here. I find like a, a police officer or someone like that that uh, may do the question or a, for a you. guard you, in you yeah. find yeah. Logan say, Terry? <laughs> 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 He's oh. the only cop around now. 
Right, it's looking like you find Logan Terry. Yep. Nope. Push it, no, no and uh, that will be uh, a consequence. You you see that the your attempts at uh, gaining more information about uh, yesterday morning or yeah. early afternoon, if somebody arrived here, they're, they're like, "Well, we see people all the time. Like, what are you talking about?" But I guess you could push it by doing more of what you're doing. The downside is that uh, in the meta sense. He went crazy in a hotel room and stole somebody's car and traveled south. So that's the the threat of <laughs> of maybe um, coming at you. Instead of like pushing my luck here, I'm gonna go to the telegram office that he sent it from, show okay. them the telegram and ask them if like if they know where he was headed after he left there. Oh, that's pretty good thinking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no skill roll needed. We'll just that's that's thinking around the issue. So yeah, you show that to that person and which is a man, like a portly looking fella. And he, he says, uh, yeah, I remember the guy, o- old fella, German accent. Yes, that, um, that's the man. He left with the, the food vendor over there, the street vendor. Really? Yeah, took him somewhere. I don't know. They left in his truck. Perfect. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I'll you know, give him a, a quarter or something like that. Is it a small <laughs> thank you? Like it's like a couple bucks back right then. yeah but yeah now he's he's thankful and wishes you to have a nice day uh yeah then i'll go go find the food vendor okay so yeah like i said he's he's got little meat pies and other you know some jerky corn on a stick other things like that and he also sells some periodicals there all right so i'll i'll purchase a, a light snack and and you know strike up a conversation uh my good friend uh apparently a, a good friend of mine uh, approached you yesterday and got a ride from you somewhere. I was wondering if, if perhaps you could tell me where you dropped him off. He was an elderly gentleman, uh, German accent, may have been acting a little bit odd. I'm concerned about him and would like to find him as soon as possible. Give me a psychology roll. I'm just... <laughs> Push it. <laughs> Push no, it. We'll, we'll, we'll go with that one. Okay, he's like, uh, yeah, I, I know the... Fella took him down the road there to Salisbury. Um, think he got in a bit of trouble down there. That's what I was afraid of. Um, Do you know where he's at? <laughs> I'm afraid I don't. I was I was hoping you might be able to tell me, but uh, you said you dropped him off in Salisbury. Uh, yeah, they got a boarding house there. I assume that's where he must be. Well, I I, I suppose that uh, my journey shall continue until I, I find someone who may have seen him down there. Well, one question before you go. Who are you to him? Just a colleague. Okay. We we both have uh, interests in Latin and other archaeological pursuits. And <laughs> all right. And so, uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll actually pull out one of the one of my museum things and I say, he, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, "I see your head's about to explode, Chris." Oh no, I'm having fun. <laughs> but I'll, I'll hand in the bill and I'll say. Perhaps if you're ever if you're interested and you're ever down in the area, I I actually curate a museum that that uh, focuses on um, matters of the occult in early American history. Ah, thank you. I uh, will check it out if I'm down there. And uh, you know, he wishes you well as you go on your way. But you see him; he kind of stands up next to his stand there, and he strikes up a cigarette, and he's sort of smoking, looking at you, looking at the police officer walking down the the way, and looking at you, looking at the police officer, trying to make up his mind about something. Put a bullet in the back of his head right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll uh, try and 
either hail a cab or um, do I know if there's a train that goes to Salisbury that I can jump on? Um, no, there isn't one. I, you would have to get a ride. So yeah, I'll, I'll try and find a ride. Would they have any kind of uh, cab or something like that at the train station to take people? You could arrange, you could telegram a transportation company and arrange somebody to come pick you up. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Okay. Yeah, and all the and all the time, but your psychology role failed, so you're oblivious to any suspicion. But yep. he doesn't seem to do anything at that point. Uh, and just for the record, he doesn't have that car with the nice, like, cherry wood finish paint job. He has a different car. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, so um, we'll jump over to Mr. Uh, Whitmire and Dr. Andrews. So Dr. Andrews and Mr. Whitmire are heading up to Roxbury Sanitarium. Dr. Andrews, did you want to stop by the university? And Yeah, that's we're going to have to go there and talk with uh, Van Barnett. Yeah, so uh, he uh, went a different path after his residency. He decided to teach rather than practice mm. medicine. Those who can't do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you, as I said, or as I had mentioned, uh, his skill did seem to lie in that area. He was more on the academic side of it rather than the practice. So you've uh, telegrammed ahead and arranged a short meeting over tea or coffee. And uh, he actually is able to, after examining it uh, just briefly, did you move it to a little glass jar as yeah. is appropriate? Yeah. Yeah, he kind of rattles it in there and looks at it. And it said, well, it looks metal, but uh, I Definitely think it's organic. Uh, and this looks to me like a seta or seta or insect hair, but from a much larger insect that I know of. Like how you, large would an insect need to be to have a hair like this? You're talking about like the little hairs on a spider, maybe. Right. Yeah. Exponentially larger for it to be big enough to see, uh, you know, the pattern in the hair. And the tensile strength of it is... It is similar to insects. They're just much smaller, so they're easily crushed. If you guys have the time, you could look under under the microscope at, at the ones we have here in university. But if you're rushed, I understand. Well, I'm sure we have a few minutes. Okay. So, yeah, that's uh, he, he leads you into one of the unused cla- classrooms, and there they have an old ancient microscope, and uh, he puts one in a slide underneath the lens. And, yeah, it's it's a match for that. There's differences in coloration and whatnot, but that's exactly what it is. It just looks nothing like nothing more than a large oversized insect hair. What could, what could leave this behind? Well, I know of no such insect with the size, with enough size to have a a hair this big. Uh, I don't know. I haven't even read of one. Have you guys traveled abroad and, you know, maybe picked it up in the Amazon basin or... Or elsewhere? Some undiscovered animal? This was found in Boston. Well, that's very interesting. Well, we certainly don't have insects of that size, insects of unusual size here in Boston. But, uh, you know, if you guys left it with me for a couple of days, I could run some deeper analysis on it and get that information back to you. I think that would be a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate it. Well, it's good to see you again, Dr. Andrews. Um, you too. Get in touch and we can have lunch or dinner. Most definitely. My treat. All right, so back in Whitmire's car, you head about an hour's drive outside of Boston and into the countryside. 
and you approach the Roxbury Sanitarium, which is a converted three-story manor house with a long porch that sort of wraps around the front side, front or two of the sides of the manor house, looking out over a lush green lawn. Uh, you can see they have several patients out in wheelchairs that stare sort of vacantly out into the lawn. Some are drooling, some mumble half-understood words as, as you approach the building. Uh, some look at you with eyes that seem to beg for rescue, but a pair of muscular orderlies are out there watching all, all the patients. Inside, distantly, you can hear the whoops and hollers of the insane, and it makes sort of a chaotic song, maybe like a bird enclosure gone mad. Uh, there's a secretary there working the desk, and she exudes a calm togetherness, but it's belied by the tightness of her eyes. Uh, anyhow, there you guys are. So, I will introduce myself then and say, um, Dr. Andrews, and I am here to speak with, I already forgot his name. Lewis Powell. Lewis Powell? Okay, yeah, with Dr. Lewis Powell. Oh, that's right. I think he had mentioned something about that. Wait here one moment. And she walks away from the desk through a door and a few minutes later comes back with Dr. Lewis Powell, who proves to be a short, uh, slim-boned man with maybe some Greek ancestry, somewhere Mediterranean, by the olive tint to his skin, light olive tint. But he extends his small hand to shake yours first, Dr. Andrews. Yeah, I'll shake his hand. Pleasure to meet you, doctor. Yeah, pleasure to meet you as well. So how do you know our good friend, Dr. Call? Well, I've recently become friends with Dr. Call as we are um, fellow members of a um, club, sort of like a yeah social club together. And he um, recommended you because we're looking into the case of uh, the Dooley murder. Uh, yes. Yeah. Interested in young Charlie Murphy? Yes. Most interested. And who is your friend? This is Mr. Whitmire. And then I'll let Mr. Whitmire introduce himself. I'll uh, I'll stick my hand out and just uh, tell him that I'm also part of the same social club with uh, Dr. Cole and looking into the uh, death of poor Mr. Dooley. All right. Well, it's nice to meet both of you. Uh, I'll have Murphy brought out for you guys to talk with him. And you had ha you had gotten some papers uh, last night that you were supposed to get signed on behalf of James Clark, right, for representation. Yeah. Uh, so you guys have those with you now, uh, and he leads you to sort of like a day room that's currently empty at the moment. You know, they have chairs that look out the windows, and uh, you know, like those gaming tables where you can play chess or checkers or whatnot, and. Uh, and some tables for sitting and eating. And he, he asks you to seat yourself and if he can get you any tea or coffee. None for me, thank you. Uh, so what's your... Sorry, go ahead, Mr. Whitmire. I'll take a coffee. Okay. And he has a nurse run out to get those. And uh, he questions you a bit further, Dr. Andrews, about your expertise in the field of medicine. Uh, well, I'm a medical doctor. I'm a surgeon. And I trained at Harvard. And Blah blah blah, and so uh, now you're moonlighting as a did some um, did some workout in Peru for a um, a Catholic church out there, providing some um, 
aid to lower income residents. And uh, now I'm back in Boston and joined the social club. And now um, it just was an interesting case that a close friend of mine, a close acquaintance of mine, uh, suggested that I look into while I'm uh, waiting to get started on the next phase of my education. Uh, surgeons, quite the miracle workers these days. I, in university, had thought to go that direction, but I went a different. I suppose you real doctors might sneer at my doctor in the psychoanalytic method. Hopefully that's not the case, but I have encountered that from time to time, which is why Dr. Call and I are good friends, because he took it with the seriousness I think it deserves. Uh, there might have been a time when I would have sneered, but um, certainly no longer. In fact, I've begin I've began to um, make my own forays into that field as well. So I have nothing but respect for the path you've taken um there's many mysteries to be discovered within the mind it's been my lifelong preoccupation i remember in medical school i toured a sanitarium uh back then and there was a young man who was held there who drew mazes of all things on parchment these mm. intricate mazes and uh, you just finish one go on to the next and i had this sort of awakening when i saw that uh, that I just had a insatiable curiousness for what went on in other people's heads. And, you know, come to find out, you take all these sheets of mazes and he had plastered to them to the wall in his room. And then you saw at a distance of, say, 12 feet, that all these little mazes, when seen at that distance, made a bigger maze. Hmm. And this was a man who was no use to society. You know, he was just held in a room. And he was obsessed with this thing. And I wanted to know why. Why why did he do this? Could we make him of use to society? Or was he damned to work out these mazes? And I realized that, you know, there's a ton of other people that are different degrees of that. You know, they just are, by God's will, born with dumb hands, slow tongues. But what goes on in their head? You know, what dark stars burn there? For, pardon the poetry, but... <laughs> so yes, that's my obsession. And this uh, Charlie Murphy of yours is quite interesting. We've been running these assessments on behalf of the state to see if he's fit for trial, but he he's peaceful, but he does not speak to us. He will go through the batteries, you know, the uh, assessing his intellect, and he does quite well on those. Scores very highly above average, I would say, but he just refuses to speak. Mm. And he'll be here shortly. I, uh, there's something that might be of interest to you. I have had the orderlies not deliver him his breakfast, and we'll have it delivered here now, but uh, something for you to observe when he comes in. So a little while later, Charlie Murphy is brought in by uh, the orderlies, and there you see a slight young man of 16 years of age, you know, less than 130 pounds. And just upon sight, both you and Whitmire would find it preposterous to imagine the murder of his uncle as it, as it's been described. Because mm -hmm. like, he probably might, he would struggle to do anything physical. You know, he, yeah. he looks like skin and bones. But he, he does have clear eyes and they take you in, but then they dart away to something else that interests him. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dr. Powell just says, well, just stand back and, and take a look at this. And uh, a tray of food is brought in there. You see mashed potatoes, uh, diced peas and carrots and corn and 
uh, some slab of meat that is difficult to determine what it is. Sand roll. <laughs> in, a, <laughs> in a gray sauce. Uh, but the first thing that Charlie Murphy does when it's set before him is he goes to order all of the diced up vegetables. So he orders them uh, by, you know, the type. And then once he's got that done, he, he actually goes to a different project and, and starts to stack these diced up vegetables, one on top of the other. Uh, he ignores his mashed potatoes and his meat except to scrape the gray gravy off of the meat into a pool next to it on the tray. So what do you make of young Mr. Murphy? Oh, that it, that's amazing how he's able to stack those vegetables like that. They do topple from time to time, but he does get, you know, maybe five, six pieces high before they do. Yeah, so I want to watch carefully and see when they topple. Do I detect any signs of frustration or anger or a reaction of any kind from Charlie when the, when they topple? Yeah, you do. Well, psychology rule, let's try it that way. Okay. Failure. <clears throat> uh, you don't pick up maybe a slight flicker, but it's it's very quickly gone. His uh, face is passive for the most part. Did you want me to do one as well? Yeah, go ahead. I'll luck that. Yeah, so you do see it, it does frustrate him, but uh, he gets back into the process of doing that. And is, is he, is it just random stacks or does there seem to it's be like something kind, he's right? trying to build? Well, the first act he did was to sort them by kind, but now he stacks them in certain ways. And uh, you see that there is a pattern that he always begins with. Uh, he he does begin with the, the hardier piece of carrots at the bottom, the most stable part of the structure before he, he uh, attempts peas. But they do see to, seem to be alternating in colors. So, Dr. Andrews, Mr. Whitmire, you wish to question Charlie Murphy. I'll allow it, but... Um, I don't think you'll have any success. I have been taken with the idea of hypnotism, except that the state requires very specific manners, and that would void the assessment. But I'm at my wit's end for how to get Murphy to communicate. He does appear to have the ability to read or understand written word as to whether or not he can write. He's never done it here, although presumably he did it at the police station when he signed his confession. Yes, that's one of the things I came to ask about. In your opinion, do you think that this boy could write, let alone sign a confession? I think that he could. I don't understand why he did. And unfortunately, all the doctors and I agree that regardless of what we think this boy might be capable of, we're going to be forced to rule him as fit to stand trial. Of course, there are more tests to run, and it'll be a while yet, but... That's what it's leaning towards. And then what, why would you be forced to declare him fit? Well, I just... Do you mean forced as in coerced or because under the rules you have no recourse? We're coerced by the scientific method in this degree. He won't meet the standards of insanity in the state of Massachusetts. Mm. But there is a question of his not necessarily in, in, insanity, but just simple capability. No, that's true, but uh, you know that's that's why we're somewhat hesitant that it looks like it's going that way because I don't think that this boy had anything to do with a murder, uh, but you know that's not our our part of it. Right. Well, uh, yeah, we'll try to 
speak with the boy. But first, I wanted to mention to you that I have we have managed to retain a very capable defense attorney who will defend young Charlie. And I only say this to you because you seem sympathetic to him, which I admit was not what I expected. But the only way that this attorney can take over as his defense counsel is if Charlie requests it. I understand. Well, I wish you the best of luck. I'll, of course, be here to monitor it, but you're free to to try to get him to sign it. I don't know of any technique that I could offer you that will work, you know. I suppose it's a shame we can't ask the police how they got him to sign his confession. Well, I have that question in my mind. You haven't asked them in your investigation yet? No, not yet. Well, pull some chairs up next to his table there. He won't react much to you, I'm sure, but uh, I'm just going to go observe and take some notes if that's okay. Yeah, of course. All right, so you and Mr. Whitmire pull up some of these industrial-style metal chairs up to his table across from him, where now at this stage he's given up on his vegetable stacking and he's uh, eating the vegetables in pretty much the same order he sorted it. So starting with the carrots. And he only his eyes only flicker up to you when you guys are seated. Okay. Yeah, so I'll go sit down then at that table and uh I'll just observe him for a little bit. Like I won't won't start away trying to talk to him, just sort of watch watch what he does, how he eats and uh you know, see if I can determine is if is if he's made uncomfortable by my presence or you know, anything like that. But while I'm sitting there, like, just sort of passing the time, I wanted to take out his uncle's diary and just start thumbing through it, see if he, if I catch any recognition from um, Charlie. Yeah, he does recognize it. He pauses and looks at it and then gives a very long look to you before returning to his mill where he's moved on to the mashed potatoes now. And you're not certain, but you'd almost think that each spoonful is the same size you know you might even wager a bet that if you were to weigh it or measure it it you know it would be the same each time Hmm. all right so how does that help what does that relate to um well i guess at that point once i notice that he's noticed that then i will try speaking with him and i'll say charlie i'm um well uh yeah i'll just say charlie i'm wally and um I was acquainted with your uncle, and so I came here to see if I could help. Do you remember what happened to your uncle? And I'll sort of like slide the the journal like towards him, you know, like slowly, but that in case he wants to pick it up or whatever. Okay. So yeah. I guess at this point, like for for game terms, I'm I would be doing like a persuade. I'm trying to persuade him to open up to to speak with me. So I'll be like, even if you don't want to, if you don't want to talk, you can just nod or um, knock on the table once for yes, two for no, that sort of thing. So I'll be trying to persuade, really. Okay, that's the best I can come up with. Sorry. Yeah, we'll um, we'll start with a hard persuade is what you will need. Okay. Um, yeah. So, like that's what I'll try um, having my. A sister who's got her own problems, I know that it's best not to be pushy with them, you know, because that can go catastrophic. So I'll just sort of like relax from there once. Like if that doesn't get a reaction, then I'll just 
back Let off. Let it be and, for time. Yeah, just sort of like pass the time, just asking harmless questions like, are you getting enough food and what do you think of this place and all that? So are you ultimately going to try to push it at some point or are you just switching tactics altogether? Um, yeah, I'm going to have to push it eventually. So I'm just trying to think of the best way to go about that. So, all right, Whitmire, give me a spot hidden. As you're not distracted with, you know, attempts to communication at this mo- in this moment, you see that ever since Dr. Andrews has put the journal on the table, Murphy's eyes have been kind of flickering over to Dr. Powell every now and then. You just see that happen like four or five times during the course of Dr. Andrews speaking. All right. I'm going to ask him if we can have uh, a few minutes alone with them. As, uh, we want to talk about some possibly sensitive subjects. So Powell doesn't look very comfortable with that, but you might be able to get him to go along with it with a... Uh... <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's not happening. Push it. I can, uh, I can luck that because I've got enough. Always okay. push. <laughs> so what's the fast talk about? component of it what's going to unravel are, are you claiming uh, some expertise and some yeah. knowledge um, okay <laughs> you're going to end up yeah, in the operating so... room you're going to have to perform a tonsillectomy <laughs> okay um, yeah so we can say like well you know we found in, in our study of gentlemen like Mr. Murphy here that it's best that the fewer people are in the room you know they'll open up more and uh, he goes along with it and he he uh, exits the room, leaving you alone with uh, Mr. Murphy. Or, yeah, Mr. Murphy. All right. And then I was going to tell him, like, hey, like we probably don't have much time. So whatever you wanted to share with us is, like, now is the time. Okay. So he picks up that journal, and the first thing he does is he removes or flattens out all the dog ears that have appeared in it over the years. And uh, then he goes to the back page, and with that dark gravy, he writes a word in cursive really quick. And then he, um, with it still open, so it can dry a little bit, he lifts up his shoe and it, they're a kind of slipper. They've put everybody in here. And between the sole and the material of his shoe, he pulls out a long insect-like hair and puts that on the table with his eyes darting towards the door. Yeah, it's just like that one we dropped off at the university. Yeah. I'm going to ask him where uh, I, I found one of those under your uncle's bed. Where did this come from? Uh, his eyes go dim for a moment and, and then wide as though he went to reference the memory, but then fled from it a bit. Was, uh, shakes can his I head. do like a psychology? Do I even need to, to realize that he's seen something that he wishes he hadn't? No, that's pretty obvious. Okay. To both of you. And you can uh, see, you can see the word on that back page is Latakia, Latakia, or Latakia, perhaps. As I'm going to try to put him at ease a little bit, like uh, I understand that it's tough, you know, some of the things that happen in life. As uh, me and me and uh, Wally here have been been through quite a bit as well. So you know, no, don't don't worry about saying any more on whatever this is and I'll like tap next to the uh the hair thing okay as uh, I I do want to um 
I think we should put that in the inside the journal to uh, hide it, though. Mm-hmm. You know, at this stage, if you close it, the the word will be obscured, but it's easy enough to remember. But let's pause there for a moment while you're giving Charlie Murphy room to breathe and think and jump over to Mr. Monroe as he's on the tail, the cold trail of Mr. Mueller. (laughs) (laughs) And your cab arrives to take you to Salisbury, where you know Mr. Mueller was dropped off at the boarding house. And there's a, a red-haired, middle-aged woman who owns it. Okay. <clears throat> so, yeah, I'll, I'll step out and I'll say, uh, my good lady, uh, perhaps you can help me with something. Oh, yes, anything. Are you, will you be needing a room? Uh, it's possible, but uh, I actually came to ask after a friend of mine who may have uh, taken up residence in your boarding house temporarily. Uh, an elderly gentleman, uh, German descent, has a German accent. <laughs> Her face, the color drains from her face. <laughs> do I do I see it as obvious? Yeah. Or, okay. She's like, uh, yes, I knew the man. He stayed in my room uh, just the night before last. And uh, odd gentleman, uh, he really did some damage to my room. The, the pillows were torn apart with feathers everywhere. Uh, the Bible in there was not upon, I would say. And the bedposts also appeared to be not upon. <laughs> and I I wasn't awake myself, but one of the other guests said he fled in the night, uh, spouting some sort of gibberish. They couldn't make heads or tails of it. And uh, wouldn't you know, the next morning we hear Hampton's car was stolen. I don't know if the two are connected. He seemed like a, a kind enough gentleman. Yes, the, yes it is uh, far outside the reserve Dr. Mueller that I, that I knew and and have had correspondence with, are you sure that he's the one that did the damage and that he wasn't perhaps assaulted or accosted in the room and fled uh, fled from it? Because I, I've been receiving messages from him that makes me worry about his safety. <laughs> I suppose it could have happened that way. I guess the only reason I think it happened uh, the other way is because the way, uh, the, the particulars of the room that he asked for, he described them very oddly. It was like a man describing a mill, not a room. And those two ideas were just in my head. But it could be, as you say. Uh, would Would you mind showing me the room, my good lady? Uh, yes, well, I've made it up some since then. But you can see the, the scoring on the bedposts. And uh, I think I still have that Bible. Okay. Yes, thank you very much. And those prove, yeah, you can see teeth marks on let's those uh, round bedposts ends. I like they okay. just... Maybe they looked like uh, dollops of caramel or something. And somebody <laughs> tried to take a good chunk out of them. And, and uh, she goes into the closet and up on a shelf in there, she grabs down that Bible, which has since been replaced with a new one. And you can see the leather binding also has a similar pattern of teeth marks. And several sections of the Bible are, are missing, particularly Old Testament entire chapters. Okay. The, the thin pages are torn out and missing. All right. Um, yeah, I'll say, uh, my, my fair lady, may I take the the Bible with me? I, of course, I'll I'll pay for it and uh, reimburse you for the damages that that have happened while my my friend was staying here. Uh, if you could point me towards uh, the person that had seen him flee, I, I would also be very grateful. Well, I have their name in the in the register, but they've gone on to parts unknown. Um, which you can get that name. It's uh. Uh, Ruth Meyer was the woman who heard 
the insane flight in the night. Okay. Um, yeah, and then I'll I'll say, and and who was this gentleman who had his car stolen? Uh, Mr. Hampton. He goes down to Newbury Port Station and sells his wares there. Did I? Did apparently, I get... one, right? <laughs> yeah, you're I mean, aware. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, apparently, one of his trucks was stolen. Uh, the new one that he had just bought, and uh, I'm afraid he's forced to go back to his older truck. Oh my! Um... Apparently, nothing, uh, nothing can be said about it from the police, except that um, it was seen d- departing south to somewhere in Massachusetts. Hmm. Do you know where I might be able to to rent a vehicle? Um, no, I don't think so, but you could, I mean, where you have the, we have the car service here, so. Well, uh, I am, I'm very concerned of my friend's well-being and, and feel that I must, uh, try to find him. And if he fled south in a vehicle, perhaps I can find somewhere that, uh, recognizes the vehicle or him himself. Do you know, do you know which route, which route he was taking south? Well, I think he was spotted on the south road out of Salisbury, which goes down to places like Bolton, Salem, Arkham, and such. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Um, and then I'll pull, or at least the car was spotted. They didn't spot him. I'll pull my my uh, one of my uh, museum bills out and, and say, <laughs> and of course, madam, if if you would are ever in the Boston area and would like uh, a good entertainment, please stop by my museum. And, you know, <laughs> continuing to to pimp my museum everywhere I go. She actually seems pleased. She's like, oh, a curioso, how lovely. If I'm ever in Boston, I will check it out. Thank you. Yes, in many of my archaeological digs along the East Coast, I have found some fascinating things that that are are truly spectacular. Now, will you be needing a room tonight? Or I have, you know... Uh, I'm afraid not, my my good woman. And I I feel with with this new discovery that I must uh, endeavor with all haste to find my friend. And you mentioned something about paying for the damages. Yes. How, how much? How much uh, would, would it cost? It? What's your uh, cash allotment? Uh, my cash. That's under. Or your daily spending limit. Um, cash is five hundred forty-six. Daily is ten. Um. So it's outside your daily, so I'd have to dip in your cash. But twenty bucks should cover. All right. Yeah, I'll I'll cover that. And after you exit the boarding house, where to? Um, I'll, you know, go to the car sharing service or whatever and, um, tell them to head, head south to the nearest junction. To, okay. Cause there's probably a, another town where it, it would split off to go to different areas as well. And yeah. Yeah. Continue to, to follow the trail of, yeah. of Johan's madness. Yeah. So, you know, the, the first segment of the journey, it goes through these, uh, little unnamed villages of Massachusetts, although they are named, they're just not known to you. Uh, but you know, with the sagging gambrel roofs and that yeah. New England pastiche you're familiar with, and people that stop and stare at the motor as it goes down the road. Uh, <laughs> um, in one case, uh, you you're in one of these little towns, and you see some damage to a fence that's along the roadway, right? Okay. <laughs> uh, that an old woman is out there, like very slowly and, and methodically trying to put it back together. It's more, it, rather than being a fence to actually keep anything out, it, it seems more decorative, like a little little white pickets, right? Okay. And uh, yeah, so you, you just catch that as you look out the window. All right. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll hope that that wasn't, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even that, that it was just part of daily life. 
but in the back of my mind i'm hot on the trail <laughs> yeah and and whenever we stop for um gas or whatever then you know i'll see if anyone had, and I'll, I'll you know mention no. the truck not not the gentleman well it's at this point that the the cart your driver right he's you come to a fork and you're like well we can we can go on to bolton here or this one uh goes down to arkham a ways okay yeah i'll uh i'll see if there's a a gas attendant or somebody that had seen uh the red truck go by okay give me a luck roll Ooh, <laughs> how'd you do 52 out of 53 yeah yeah, that, yeah uh, he says yeah i just opened up uh opened up the shop I was just getting ready it was very early in the morning before the sun was out even and uh i heard a great clatter this maniac came down in a truck and and went over uh fence you saw that i'm sure on the road yes yes i saw it <laughs> He just veered into it, I suppose, but he was back on the road, and then it looked like he head off to Arkham. Thank you, thank you, good sir. I'm trying to track this uh, this maniac down. Oh, really? Is he a danger? Besides behind no. a, the wheel of a vehicle? No, no. <laughs> but there are some other damages that I need to ask him some questions about. Well, yeah, he definitely didn't take the Bolton route. I mean, he, he might not have ended up in Arkham because it does diverge from that point again. But that's the next major town. Okay. Before you get to Salem. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah, have a good day. Do He's holding his it? hand out waiting for his brochure. Uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> of course. <I'll. laughs> your, uh, your infamy has preceded you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I will uh, pull out a bill and, you know, and ask him that if he has a chance to, you know, post it in his shop somewhere, that it would be greatly appreciated and, you know, give him like a dollar. Oh, oh okay. He was going to ask how much for the advertising, <laughs> but... Yeah, so he kind of tents it up on the uh, the old timey cash register right up front there, folds it out so people can see the name. What was it? The New England, uh, the New England Museum of the Occult. All right, so yeah, <laughs> so back in the car with your driver, you head down the Arkham route, and uh, it's a long country drive through some smaller towns. At one point, you see a, a dog dead on the side of the road, perhaps struck by Mueller, but maybe not. <laughs> is it not a pawn i'll give him the, the benefit of the doubt <laughs> uh no you can't really tell as you zoom past at a brisk 25 miles an hour but eventually <laughs> eventually you arrive at the outskirts of arkham and this would put you at about noon just maybe shortly after and uh there you see a horse team hauling away a crashed pickup fitting the description of Mr. Hampton's pickup okay, and uh, a damaged telephone pole. All right. At that point, uh, I'll, I'll pay for the ride and um, say that I, I believe I've reached the end of my road or at the very least, I, I should be able to find another ride from here if I need one. Have a good day, sir. It shakes your hand. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. I might have. So the crowd that um, Mueller interacted with, when he came upon this scene was a bit earlier in the day and you can see they've dispersed, although there's still some kids out there scratching their head and wondering how this telephone pole is going to be fixed. Cause it's broken kind of down by the basin hanging by the wires. Okay. Um, old man feet tracking miskatonic mud on the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess first I'll, I'll, you know, go up to the crowd and ask about the crash. You know. Oh, to the kids. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, they're like, ah, oh, we don't know. We were sleeping when it happened. Do you know if, if the driver is okay? He was long gone before anybody got here. Long gone, huh? And and this happened early this morning, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, could could you point me to the uh, local boarding house? Uh, yeah, there's quite a few. Uh, the, the nearest one, and they give you some directions to a boarding house. Okay. Um, it's down kind of by the college part of town. Okay. Yeah, I'll uh, head in that direction. And did I... Now, you had a home here, right? Yeah, I was about to say, what are the chances of him possibly knowing that? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember. if. Do you think that uh, we would have been at least... I think you, when we first started, you guys were acquainted with each other as SEU members, but I don't think we described any further... But I wouldn't know that he, he had been yeah. renting a room in Boston because he didn't live there. I mean, you... Um, I, I, you think he probably lives here. You might be able to consult a directory. Okay. I mean, that's going to answer your question one way yeah, or the other. I'll, yeah, I'll find a directory yeah. or, um, I don't know, back then you could probably just ring the operator and see if... Mm. Right. If, uh, if you find a place with a phone. Yeah. Yeah, well, you have both those options. Their directories are kept at various places Okay. of, of public public places, or you could go someplace with a phone. Yeah. Um, yeah, whichever I come to first. <laughs> yeah, we'll say you get... In, well, you get a directory, uh, and they're kind of like our phone books now, um, although much thinner. Ours are going thin now, but anyhow, that's yeah. beside the point. But anyhow, uh, yeah, you go through through it and tell you, yep, they're Johan Mueller at this address, you know. And it's, um, do you, you're not that well-versed with Arkham. I did go to college here. Okay. So I, I probably have some. Yeah, so you know it's a, a district of the town where... Polish immigrants are predominant, right? So it's uh, a little bit poorer, a little bit seedier for Arkham. You know, you're probably not going to get stabbed, but uh, it's just for people who Lots are either, side eyes, right? <laughs> yeah, especially wearing what I'm wearing. And but there's a significant Polish uh, population, along with you know a few Italians, that sort of thing. I was kind of nodding my head, say that makes sense, and uh, head that direction. Okay, give me a luck roll as you pass. Uh, Along the way. Let's see if it holds out. Nope. No. So far, my failures have been good story drivers. So. <laughs> well, in this case, you just zigged instead of zagged. So you missed a, a thoroughfare where you might have heard of talk about an attack at a museum. And you just went down a quieter path. And eventually... Missing Johan crawl out of the, <laughs> the storm drain like a spider. Uh, you would arrive at Johan's place, which is a, a humble abode there in this district of town and this is about mid-afternoon when you get there okay so mr mueller give me a power roll as you examine this dagger thinking about why i would possibly want it all right all right power now you just need a regular success you're what 11 away from it Ooh, that's gonna put me dangerously low on luck but yeah you're, you're starting to feel kind of like a uh a dimming of your consciousness, almost like you're slipping back into the into a sedative state. Yeah, and your relief almost turns to panic at that. But because of the uh, fear of yeah sleep, yeah, I I think uh, role play wise as well as me wise, I will luck that and spend the eleven. Okay, so whatever that is, it it ends up being a temporary fugue, and then as as you 
are done looking at the dagger or something, there's a tap, tap, tap at your door. Well, I have the dagger in one hand and the gun in the other. (laughs) (laughs) And a million-year-old stare. (laughs) Yeah. A little frayed around the edges. So I'll, like, I'll, I've kind of been holding the gun at the side, but I'll, or maybe I was pointing it, who knows, with Muller, but I'll kind of look to the door and then back to the dagger. You have, you know, like a, a little thing you can, those little, it slides up into the side so you can look through your people mm. if you'd like. I'll put the dagger down um, near, like on a, I don't know, this place probably doesn't have like a, Pillars or banisters or anything. Not a banister, but... Um, no, you do have some shelves to, yeah, to store various items that I like go that. in your mother. I'll put it on the sill next to the door. Like, I'm guessing there's, like, some... Yeah. Okay. You know, like works. a cheap, like, uh, not stained glass, but where you can't really see yeah, through it yeah. type window. So I'll it's do that. Bubbled glass. I'm a little bit worried you're going to shoot me. I'll put the gun after to the door. Me. Okay. And I'll lift up the peephole. And... uh you see a brochure to a curioso in <laughs> Massachusetts. Sandroll. <laughs> Sandroll. It's the drawing that Whitmire did of the Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> now, you see Mr. Monroe there uh, waiting expectantly at your door. Although, maybe, you know, thinking that no one's home even after a short. Looking around. Yeah. Because there's this strange narrative on your journey down here. So Yeah. But yeah, I'll, I'll wait, you know. You probably see the ding latch go up or hear it, maybe. Yeah, you could hear movement inside or uh, see something behind that okay. that glass with a successful roll. You can do listener spot, whichever works for you. I, I don't think either works for me. <laughs> <laughs> Your thoughts are just too much of a clamoring for you to notice fine details. And to visit his curioso. I guess my spot hidden is not that bad. Yes, oh. It's not good enough, though. Well, as far as you know, it, you don't hear anybody inside, but. So, yeah, I'll, I'll wait for, you know, 10, 15 seconds and then I'll, I'll you know, knock again and then I'll, I'll say, Dr. Mueller, it's Lance Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's going to shoot me just because he doesn't like, <laughs> not because he's afraid of me. I'll, uh, I'll carefully lower the latch on the peephole. I'll go over to, um where the De Vermis Mysterium is and put a pile of books on it. Okay. Put my gun in its shoulder holster. If I'm not wearing something over that, I'll put something on. Okay. And that ma- that amount of movement makes it, unless you're particularly trying to be stealthy, makes it obvious that there is somebody inside. But anyhow, you go back to the door then? Yeah. And I'll open it and I'll uh, smile. Ah, oh, Herman Roll. Thank goodness you're okay. I've heard the most terrifying stories. Let's uh, do an opposed role on that uh, f- that first um, contact with each other. Yours is going to be psychology, and yours is going to be your attempt to basically put your whole experience in a bottle and not let it come come out of you. What would that be? You. Uh, well, you can use a social skill if you have a good one, like say charm. No, nah, that ain't that good. What's <laughs> what's the uh, yeah. what's the other one? Would that I'd probably be like one step higher than what he's rolling, right? So. Yeah, if you want to leave it to like a characteristic, we could try your willpower, like your power roll. Mm. Uh, but it would have to be at hard. Oh. I, that was a horrible failure on my part. Dang. Uh, yeah, we'll try charm and just pray for the best. <laughs> nope. So we are both know <laughs> that the other's on to us, but we're not going to. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
Something's off, but... Well, it's been a strange last 24 hours for everybody, so uh, <laughs> you wordlessly call it a stalemate and you can continue <laughs> yeah. on. But actually, you know, on that point, uh, I think we're going to have to call it today. Uh, so we will leave off with Monroe standing at a very crazy Mr. Mueller's door. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for playing. appreciate it. I'll see you next time. Uh, hell yeah, man. Thanks, man. Thank you, thank Travis. You. <laughs> I was really hoping you would have just walked in. Oh, no, I'm not. Because then I would have shot you. <laughs> and it probably would have been after you stopped and said, oh. This has been a Death Watch production. Thank you for listening. Thank you.